Today we're bringing you the story of Josephine Despard, a young mother who left her home to run an errand and was never seen again. This episode includes content which may be disturbing to some listeners. This is APB Cold Case. Here's your host, former police chief Mark Spahn. On Tuesday, February 7, 1984, Josephine Despard, or Josie as she was affectionately called by her family and friends, was at her parents' house on North Clinton Street in Olean, New York. She'd recently moved back home after separating from her husband. At about 5 p.m. that evening, Josie left the house with a male friend named Dale to run a quick errand. Josie was 26 years old. She was about 5 foot 2, 100 pounds, with short black hair and brown eyes. When she walked out the door, she was wearing blue jeans, a beige sweater, a hooded red coat, and brown knee-high boots. Josie's sister, Doris, told us about that day. Yeah, actually, I was the last one to see her leave the house that day because I was coming in from school, and she was leaving out with that Dale Varica. I mean, just in passing, because she was going to buy me Jordan's jeans. And my birthday was in January, and she didn't get me nothing for my birthday. And when we were passing, you know, I was my girlfriend and I were coming into the house. She was leaving out. She had said, I'm going to get those Jordache jeans for you, Dodie. And I always broke my heart because I always remember that. She just said, um, you know, I'm going to bingo tonight. Hopefully I win. So that was the last time I seen her. So Josie is last seen leaving her home with Dale Verrican. The purpose of their meeting? To swap stereo components. And according to her sister Doris, she was supposed to be back in time to go to bingo later that night. We also spoke with Josie's brother, Robert, about the evening she went missing. As soon as the night she left my parents' house, we knew I knew something was up. Because he wasn't like that. He always came home. The family filed a missing persons report. I think it was the next day because my mom knew something was up too. And we all started talking about what the hell's going on here. You know, she's not, that's not Josie. She comes home. She don't mess around. It was very uncharacteristic for Josie to take off without letting anyone know. She had a child custody hearing coming up, which the family told us she wouldn't have missed for the world. Josie's sister Eileen shared some details about Josie's daughter, Lois. Unfortunately, Lois is very, very young when all this occurred, and prior to this happening, Lois was in foster care, so she really didn't have a lot of time with her mom that she recalls. You know, up till probably like three, four, she was with her parents, and then after that, you know, she was placed in foster care, so unfortunately, they weren't together. Police start an investigation, and they begin by questioning those closest to Josie. They interview her family and Olean, and they contact her estranged husband, who gives them an alibi. He's working on the West Coast, and his employer provides records showing he was in California on the day that Josie went missing. Police seem satisfied, and they turn their attention to the man she was last seen with, Dale Verrican, who lives in the nearby town of Franklinville, about 20 miles from Olean. When questioned, Dale claimed that they never actually swapped those stereo components. Instead, he said he drove Josie to the Olean Mall, where they had a cup of coffee, and then she left with unidentified friends. Josie's sister, Doris, told us more about Dale Verican. Her family wasn't sure why Josie was hanging out with him. Well, from what I realized, too, is over the years, now that I'm as an adult, he had a girlfriend that was pregnant, Dale did, at the time that my sister went to that house. She was, like, six, seven months pregnant with his child, even though my sister and him were friends. It just didn't all add up. It was just real, real weird. 
But what's more strange is where Dale Varekin is found later that evening. So let's do a recap of the timeline for February 7th, 1984. Josie's last seen by her family leaving their Olean home with Dale Varekin at about 5 p.m. And according to Varekin, they drive straight to the Olean Mall, have a cup of coffee, and then he leaves her there. But at 10.30 p.m. that very same night, Varekin, who we found out is on parole at the time, tries to cross the border into Canada. And we'll talk about why he's on parole in a minute. Now, the driving distance from Olean to the Canadian border crossing at Peace Bridge is about 75 to 80 miles, which would take about an hour and a half. He's reportedly trying to cross alone in his truck at 10.30 p.m. What happened in the hours between 5 p.m. when he picked Josie up from her home and his arrival at the Canadian border at 10.30 p.m.? Typical restrictions for a parolee would be to not leave the county or state without permission from their parole officer, let alone leave the country. Varekin is ultimately turned away by Canadian authorities, and U.S. Border Patrol agents arrest him for possession of marijuana on the U.S. side. Police say that Varekin appeared to have been formally detained by his parole officer the following day, February 8th. Why was he trying to cross the border? Was he running from something? We decided to look deeper into Dale Varekin's past. We found an article from 1974 when Dale played football for Orchard Park High School. At the age of 17, he helped his team take a win over Olean. And that was the only flattering story we found about Dale. Here's what else we found. According to the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle Archives, about five years before Josie's disappearance, on October 13, 1979, Dale Varekin steals a bottle of whiskey from Ryan's Liquor Store in Canandaigua, New York. He threatens the owner and his son. That same night, Varekin watches as a 14-year-old female hitchhiker gets into a car on Lakeshore Drive in Canandaigua. He suddenly jumps into the same car. The driver takes them to a local pizzeria where Varekin and the girl get out. Without warning, Varekin grabs the girl by the hair, beats her about the head, drags her to a vacant lot, and sexually assaults her. After the brutal assault, the girl flees to the pizzeria to get help. She tells a pizzeria employee that she'd been raped. It's unknown who'd been driving the car that dropped them off, or whether the driver was connected to Varekin in any way. The next day, October 14, 1979, Dale Varekin forces a 21-year-old female to drive to an abandoned farmhouse, where he then sexually assaults her. We were unable to find any other details on this case. At the time, several investigators are looking into a series of sexual assaults in the area. Because of the locations involved, Canandaigua Police and the Ontario County Sheriff's Office collaborate on the investigations. News articles from the fall of 1979 show that police were extremely concerned about a rash of sex crimes in the greater Canandaigua area. The police chief put out a public warning, urging residents to be extremely cautious. Sheriff's investigator Philip Pavero was one of the original detectives on that case, and 44 years later, he still remembers the anxiety and fear in the community at the time. During 1979, there were several sexual assaults reported in the city of Canandaigua and the surrounding area. Several ladies reported violent, forcible sexual acts. There was an investigation that the Ontario County Sheriff's Office was involved in working with the Canandaigua Police Department. In the course of the investigation, the Canandaigua Police Department developed intelligence that led to 
the sexual assaults of the two young women we talked about and the rash of other similar attacks in Canandaigua happened in late 1979. Now, remember, this is about four years before Josie will go missing. Again, here's retired sheriff's investigator Philip Pavero. The investigation continued to where uh, myself and members of the Canandaigua Police Department actually went to uh, Allegheny County Sheriff's Office one evening and, and there spoke to the officers who had located Dale Varekin and was holding him. Uh, we returned to Canandaigua, New York, where we discussed some of the events that had been reported uh, with uh, Varekin and obtained some information through these statements. On December 4, 1979, Dale Varekin is arrested. The following week, police conduct a physical lineup and they bring in the possible victims. The 14-year-old girl from the October pizzeria attack identifies Varekin as her attacker. He's also charged with the attack on the 21-year-old woman, but there was insufficient evidence to charge Varekin with any other sex crimes in Canandaigua. According to published reports, Varekin attempts suicide in the jail the following February. His mother had posted bond for his release, but later asked the court to revoke the bond because she fears that Dale would attempt suicide again. At that time, Varekin is declared incompetent to stand trial, and he's sent to a state psychiatric center. Six months later, August 1980, after psychiatric examinations, Varekin is declared fit to stand trial, which is scheduled for November. From the psych exams, the only other detail that was released about Varekin's crimes was that he said he had hitchhiked from his home in Franklinville to Canandaigua. He claimed that he had no memory of anything after that. We're now at November 12, 1980, and the trial against Varekin begins for sex crimes on both cases. But on the second day of trial, Varekin agrees to plead guilty to all counts in the indictments. Sentencing is set for January 8, 1981, and on that date, Varekin is sentenced to two to six years in Attica State Prison. It appears that Varekin served the minimum of his sentence because it's a little more than three years later when Josie Despard would meet up with Varekin on that fateful night to swap stereo parts. After she disappears, he's questioned by authorities. The first time he's questioned, he's in jail, being held on the parole violation for his attempt to cross the Canadian border. And remember, he's on parole for his earlier sex crimes. His truck is impounded and searched, but no evidence of foul play is found. During their investigation, police are unable to locate any of these unidentified friends that Dale claimed Josie left the mall with, or for that matter, anyone who claimed to see her there at all. Police tell us that detectives conducted a search of the Varekin family's 20-acre property, and they did drain a pond, but they found nothing. During one of their visits to where Dale Varekin was staying near his family's home in Franklinville, New York, police discover a sales receipt from Agway, an agricultural and farm supply store, for two bags of calcium chloride that was dated five weeks after Josie disappeared. Now, there are a number of uses for calcium chloride, filling tractor tires for one, and police tell me that there was a tractor on the property. But there can be other uses as well. We reached out to the Southeast Texas Applied Forensic Science Facility about those other possible uses. They told us that calcium chloride is not the same as quicklime, a compound often encountered with burials. And even though there aren't a lot of industry articles on the use of calcium chloride in any clandestine graves, they did tell us that the compound is a very good desiccant, and in theory, could potentially limit smells or speed up decomposition. 
So detectives continue their investigation into Josie's disappearance. Dale Varekin gets released from jail for that parole violation sometime between the spring and fall of 1984. And then something truly shocking happens. On October 1st, 1984, less than eight months after Josie's disappearance, 27-year-old Dale Varekin takes his own life. But wait, this story's about to take an even darker turn. Josie's sister Doris told me that after his suicide, Dale Varekin's mother came to their home in Olean. Because I remember as a young girl one day, the, the Varekin, their mom knocked on our door. It was like 8 o'clock at night and had a bag of bones and handed it to my mom and said that uh, that could be Josie. It was just really weird. I remember that. Pops came and we had police there. They just said to stay away from those people. Police told us that the bones were examined by an anthropologist at a university who determined that they were not human. The family was relieved when they discovered that the bones were from a bear. The investigation continues, but years pass with no new leads, and the case goes cold. And then, six years after Josie's disappearance and the suicide of Dale Varekin, the man she was last seen with, another strange twist. Dale Varekin's mother kills herself at the age of 57. Questions abound in this tangled web. Why did Dale try to cross into Canada? What was the reason for the calcium chloride being purchased just weeks after Josie was last seen with Dale? What was the explanation for Dale Varekin's suicide? For Mrs. Varekin bringing a bag of dug-up bones to Josie's family? For Mrs. Varekin's suicide? It would seem that the only people who could truly answer these questions are now gone. We wondered if Dale's brother Dave could have any information. Captain Robert Blavsky has been in charge of the Josie Despard case for several years now, and he told me that he questioned Dale's brother during the investigation, believing that he may have possibly had knowledge in the concealing of Josie's death. The captain even went to the district attorney and got a letter of immunity for Dale's brother Dave to hopefully reassure him that he'd not be prosecuted for Josie's death. Going back to David Barik and Dale's brother, and because I didn't, I didn't feel at the time that he was a person of interest in, in her being missing, thinking, you know, maybe he had something to do with, with after the fact, you know, of her death or anything like that. And I got her to give me a letter saying, hey, we're not, we're not going to arrest you. I gave it to him thinking I'm going to, I'm going to get some more information if he thinks he's not going to get arrested. And really didn't get much after that. I was surprised that I didn't. I think he knew a lot more. He never really came out 100%, I don't think. It's around 2019, about 35 years since Josie Despard went missing, when Dave Varekin, Dale's brother, dies from an illness at the age of 64. So now Dale, his mom Edith, and his brother Dave have all died. And if they had any secrets, they've taken them to their grave. But is there a way to dig up those secrets? Police have long had an interest in the Varekin property. I mean, we've been out there and looked over the property, but I couldn't tell you, I mean, where to go look. If she's in the ground, it's a shot in the dark. It's a hill, if I'm correct, it's, it's a hill, and we're talking acres. And that's grown over, you know, the landscape has changed since then. Back then, from what I understand, they did do some digging. You know, they had 
maybe the same kind of idea I did, and they did do some digging. Over the years, police have sought tips from the public in their investigation of Josie's disappearance. Captain Blavsky told us that they received an anonymous letter in February 2018 about Josie's case, but he's not confident that the writer's actually trying to help police. The, the letters, for my sake, going over that file, knowing what I know for a fact, and through the other investigators, I feel that it's, it's misleading. The letter's a, a little misleading, like it wants me to look in a different direction. It, it talks about there being a lot of drugs being done back then, and it kind of leads everything in a different direction, which, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe this guy you know, that sent the letter is correct, but I'd love for him to, to come out and talk to me. I'd love to. I'll travel to see him, too. I did talk to that person one time, I believe, and uh, didn't mention what he mentioned in the letter, though. Soon, it will be 40 years since Josie left her home in Olean, New York, to run a quick errand and never came back. Josie's sister Doris told us about growing up in Olean and about her big sister. We were, you know, lived on the corner, so there was always kids on the street, but Josie was a little older than me. Like, she was the oldest, I was the youngest. And she and I always had a good relationship. She was always protective over me, but she was always a good sister. She always gave me clothes, and she played Scrabble with me. And Josie's brother, Robert, still thinks about his missing sister. Well, I think about her all the time, but the case, I try not to, because I don't want to think of someone hurting my sister, you know, because she was older than us. And, you know, she took care of us. I mean, pretty much. My mom had a lot of kids, so my oldest sister was the one that nurtured us, you know, through life until she got older. Her, my other mother, you know, she... She had a heart of gold. She would do anything for anyone. Hard to imagine someone hurting her, you know. It just always pissed me off, you know, being so kind-hearted to do anything for anyone, and then someone that do it's evil in the world, a lot of evil. But that evil could not shake the close bonds of this family. We're a very tight family, and we always ate dinner together on Sundays. Even no matter we got married and went off, we still came home on Sunday and ate dinner with my parents. You know, because that's the way we're very tight. We still are to this day, most of us. Even if we live across the, like, Pilings in Ohio, Doms in Florida, we still communicate every day, just about. Josie's sister Eileen eventually got custody of and raised her sister's beautiful little girl, Lois. You know, I, I know Lois loves me and everything. I even wish upon Lois you know, that's her mom could have been there, you know, to enjoy and celebrate all her accomplishments throughout her life, buying her house, having her daughter, graduating from high school, you know, all those great things. And, you know, hopefully Josie's looking down at us, seeing all these great things, and what a wonderful person Lois turned out to be in spite of what has happened. Josie's daughter Lois regrets that her mom wasn't able to witness the milestones throughout her life. I wish she was here to see me grow up and... You know, things I've been through and I've gone through. Yes, never got to meet my daughter. And Doris remembers the bond that Josie had with her mom. Uh, my fondest memory of Josie is always coming in the door, the front door. Mom, I'm here, to, to my mom. So I always remember she was real close with my mom. Josie's family has long wished for Josie to return home. 
But as the years passed, they knew the possibility of seeing her walk through the front door of the family home was not a reality. Captain Blavsky wants this case solved, even if there can't be a prosecution. He wants the family to have peace of mind and knowing where Josie is. You know, I, I would just love to be able to have closure for, for the family. If it were my family, I would, I would want to also. You know, all of a sudden this poor girl's missing and somebody's got to look for her, somebody's got to work on it. So that, that's been me. And, and really I haven't, haven't had anything new or solid in the past few years. And Josie's youngest sister, Doris, has a message for the person who might be out there with a piece of the puzzle that will help to bring her sister home. My plea would be just please come forward and just let us know if anybody even has any kind of an ad, anything about Josie's whereabouts. Life is too short and we just want to get her to where she needs to be. Here's Josie's sister, Eileen. And my mom has passed away in 2007. And I promised her that we would never give up thinking about Josie or looking for Josie. You know, and if you know it ever came to a point that we did find her and discover what happened, our family could be at peace, have a, a service of some sort. And I just don't feel like we could do that yet because I totally believe in my heart that somewhere and only, and someone knows what happened to my sister. This February 2024 will be 40 years that she's disappeared. Police are looking for help on this one. If somebody's listening to this, I hope they do, and they want to clear their conscience, or if they know any little piece of information that would, would help me, whether they think it's helpful or not, I would love to know it. You know, my ears are open, and this isn't for me. It's, it's something that, that I'd want to do for anybody's family. I hope they'd understand that. And, and at this point in their life, you know, anybody I've talked to is getting older be willing to work with them however they want to tell me that's fine there's a reward for information that will help police crack this case if you have any information on the disappearance of josephine despard call olean police investigations at 716-376-5673 thanks for listening to apb cold case Tell us about your cold case at apbcoldcase at spawngroup.com. APB Cold Case is an original Spawn Group production.